Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. So this is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. Today, we are continuing on through our series on becoming your own banker. So we're excited to continue on this series today. We've been in this book, Becoming Your Own Banker, for quite a while. I don't know when we began time-wise this series, but oh, good morning, TC from California. Um, And we've got a thumbs up from Sydney, and we've got AG in here and Warren Barnes says, hi, Rachel. So thank you. I'm, I'm excited to see you all here live this morning. And we have been going through this book, Becoming Your Own Banker. This is Nelson Nash's really signature work on infinite banking and how to use it. And we are now on episode 24. Good morning, Fritz. So as we're nearing the end of this book, and by nearing the end, what I mean is that this very long series or saga or journey through this book is kind of coming to a close to a close here. We're on page 75 out of a book that is approximately 90 pages in length. And we've been talking about really what Nelson said in the book and how to apply it today. And you might have even heard us quite at the beginning of the show, just as we were talking a little bit, that some things illustrate that are illustrated in the book are different in today's environment. So today, really what we're doing is we're looking at college in general. And when I say in general, it's because usually when you hear any financial people talk about college, the typical approach really is to say, well, how's the best way to plan for college? Meaning let's discuss what a 529 plan is and does compared against using infinite banking to do your college planning in terms of setting aside college funding And how do you best accommodate that in your personal economy where you're planning for a lot of other financial things and you want to make sure you're making good financial decisions. And today we're actually going to step one level, I don't know, higher, deeper, lower, (laughs) uh, bigger than that conversation because Nelson really confronts the idea of college from the vantage point of saying, look, does it even financially make sense at all? And Now, granted, we know in today's environment, you have got to go to college if you're going to be an attorney, a a doctor. There are certain professions that absolutely we do not want you operating on a brain and performing brain surgery if you've not been through medical school. That's illegal. I don't have any idea about the medical profession, but I know that you cannot do that. So um, there are certain professions that you have to go to school. However, he really confronts this whole idea that we should all go to college and the cost of college in general and really what the returns of that look like in our financial life. And the reason this conversation really matters is that if you are a teenager and you're listening, which I would love to hear if you are under the age of 18 and listening to this podcast, I would, I'm going to give you a huge um, kudos and commendation. I, I'm not sure if we have any listeners that young, but if you are, please let us know. If you are older, you're probably looking at your children and saying, how do I help not only prepare them for life, but how do I financially think through this conversation and how do I have the right tools to have the conversation with them in terms of where should you go to school? Should I go to school at all? Is it financially feasible? Is it a good financial investment 
for me to put my dollars into paying for school for my child to go to school. So we hope to answer or at least shed light on all of these conversations and ideas that are either actually happening in real life in your family right now, or will at some point, or if they're just conversations in your head right now. So that is my introduction to this very um, comprehensive chapter that we are looking at called A Different Look at the Monetary Value of a College Degree. We're on page 75 in Becoming Your Own Banker. Bruce, I'm handing the mic to you because I know you have a lot of thoughts about this big picture before we really dive in. Yeah, first thing I'd like to say is, Rachel, you don't see as many clients as I do. And uh, we're getting great feedback that people are really enjoying this series. Um, and so, you know, sometimes Rachel and I are always looking at, at um, our business because this is a business. And we're and in order for a business to thrive, you have to add value. And I, I do believe that even talking about this, because I'm, I'm sure there's some listeners out there like, why are we even talking about this today? We're, you know, we want to know more about privatized banking or infinite banking. And really, this entire chapter is uh, knowing Nelson like I knew Nelson. Um, Nelson believed uh, that people need to think. He thinks that's one of the biggest problems that the that Americans have uh, changed over the years and into almost like lemmings, where they just uh, have been taught not to think. And that is why he started questioning. The, edu- the value of, of college. And it, if you read it, it even says, I. It, he's not saying that people should not be educated. He's not even saying that people shouldn't go to college, but he wants to. He wants you to think about the value that you're getting. Now, a little bit about my background, and some of the listeners already know this. I actually started my career at the, um, statistically, the most prestigious um, all-boys private school in St. Louis, Missouri. And I taught there for 15 years, and um, it was very expensive to go there. I think the equivalent now it's about thirty-two thousand dollars a year for people to go there. And it was it started in 1955, and everybody who's ever gone there has always gone to college. So uh, they've had a hundred percent acceptance rate, and they have they have a very powerful uh, admissions department. So I have been in the world of this idea that. You need to go to college. You need to go to college. Well, one of the most rewarding things that I have learned over the years is staying in touch with some of my former students. And just recently, uh, right after Christmas, I went down to Dallas, Texas to attend the Cotton Bowl where the University of Missouri was playing Ohio State University. And I reconnected with one of my students who went to college. And now he's actually owns a very successful barbecue um, restaurant and he is the pit master. And he, we were talking about, he's like, I just wasted all this time going to college because this is what I love. And I said, I said to him, Kevin, you didn't, you didn't really, um, you didn't really waste your time as long as you were learning along the way that those aspects that, you are now using in your life. And I think what he really meant was what was the value of the learning process? And that is, I think, what Nelson's trying to say in this this chapter is what is the value? Now, 
Rachel, I know you did some research. I did some research on this and people are starting to wake up. And I, I think it's not only the young adults, but it's also parents are starting to wake up to the fact that maybe college isn't the best way for a person to learn and be a productive citizen in our society because enrollments in universities are plummeting. Um, I have um, a master's degree from a Webster University in St. Louis. It's, uh, it has campuses all across the United States and the world. And uh, just about a month ago, they announced that enrollment had dropped 40% and they're going to be closing campuses uh, across the world and across the United States because people are, are trying to figure out whether they should actually pay this type of money for that education. And then the final thing I want to talk about before we get going is pay attention to the cost caused by inflation. And, the, and Nelson brings this up, the government interaction, both of the GI Bill and student loans, which I just heard this morning that um, a large percentage, and I'm not, I'm not going to quote it because I already forgot it, but it was, it was eye-opening of people, students that have student loans that were supposed to start paying them in October, last October, 2023, we're in 2024 right now. They have decided they are not going to pay their loans back because the they're students trying. Have decided. The students have decided they're not going to pay their loans back. And they're going to try to force the government to forgive the loans or modify the loans. Now, what are we teaching here? <laughs> we are teaching that if that, that happens, then what those individuals are saying is, we don't want to take responsibility for our mm -hmm. actions. Fiscal irresponsibility and, is exactly the first thing that came to my mind when you said that. Correct. And, um, and it may work because, because uh, this is the way that uh, government officials buy votes by either forgiving monetary things or giving monetary things out. And so keep those, keep those things in mind as we go through this particular chapter. Bruce, uh, I have comments on what you just said before we dive in. So uh, hopefully this free conversation doesn't last the whole hour. But um, what is really, really, really interesting about what you said is that uh, we can look at a series of choices that have led us to where we are and then we have to figure out what to do so meaning there's a lot that's happened before we got to the point of a lot of students with a lot of debt saying i don't want to pay my loan so i'm not going to to force the government to forgive these loans the challenge is we really need to look at the whole story that started from the beginning rather than just trying to affect change by throwing off responsibility of something that now exists. So I don't even know if that's coming across clearly, but for instance, the tax law and tax code might not be set up properly, but the way you fix the system is not by saying, I'm not going to pay taxes. I mean, we live in a system where we have to answer to the system that we're in and changing the system doesn't just mean going on strike against the system. It means how do you actually affect real change from the beginning? How do you create the domino effect that changes the circumstance rather than just trying to fight it on the back end? And I don't even know a better way to say this, but I mean, it would be like, don't try to fight Z if the real effect or the 
Z is an effect. The cause was all the way from A to B to C to D. We really need to look back at what original A should be and go back to the best way of having a system rather than just getting mad at the effect. Maybe that's the best way to say it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce, I also have a college degree, not quite as high as yours. I have a bachelor's degree. I attended the university, university of Idaho. And what was beneficial to me about having a college degree was the fact that when I first got a job working at target, I was interning. And then I came in as an executive in a store and you only could get a position as an executive if you had a degree. So what that meant was I was qualified for a position based on the fact that I had a degree. It didn't matter what my degree was in, but the companies standing at the time, and I don't know anything about their policies today, but this was um, a long time ago. I'm going to date myself a little bit. I came in when I was 23 into that position. And uh, yeah, we're here about 16 years later from that. So, So at the time, though, the idea was if you had the fortitude, the perseverance, the study skills, the capability to finish something and stick with what you committed to and finish that degree that you were better suited and better qualified for the type of requirement that an executive role would place on someone. So it didn't matter that my degree wasn't in human resources. I went into human resources that didn't, I didn't have to have a degree in business administration specifically. It was the fact that I had a four-year degree, which qualified me for that role. So I think there is some merit to the beginning of this argument that Nelson lays out that some, there is some truth to the fact that if you have a college degree, your average earning power is higher. Meaning I found this statistic somewhere and now I'm have a thousand pages of statistics. So hopefully I'll even say this correctly, but you do have a, a possibility statistically and overall to earn a higher income if you have a college degree. So we're not in any way saying, and Nelson is not saying that it has no value at all. However, we really need to look deeper and understand more fully what is included in that. So let's go ahead and jump over into the chapter and we will unpack a lot more of our thoughts and facts and opinion and research and help you fully think through this conversation as we go. So Nelson really starts with um, something unrelated. Yeah, almost. needs analysis. Yeah, with the idea that life insurance, because this whole book really is written about life insurance, right? He starts from the perspective of most life insurance comes from the perspective of saying, what do you need? How much do you need to pay off your house if you died? What do you have need to um, pay for your kid's college if you passed away? And your life insurance then, death benefit is set up to cover all of the needs that you have in your life. And so funding college for your kids is something that if you passed away, then your income would no longer be able to do that. They wouldn't be able to count on that source of funding. So the life insurance death benefit would be a way to solve for still getting your kids college educated. And that's why he then begins to unpack three things. One is the condition of higher education. Two is the cost of higher education. And then three, What's the monetary value or the rate of return or what you could have done otherwise? What are the other options you could have done with those dollars instead of putting them into paying for a college education that would have produced equivalent or better financial results in your children's lives? So 
Bruce, as we dig into really this first piece that I see here, he said um, that a college degree is extremely overrated in its value. Again, coming back to that value word that Bruce, you brought up very much at the beginning here. And he said, witness the number of people you feel or you know who have a college degree and thus feel that they are educated. But other than that degree, there's very little evidence of that fact. So Bruce, I, I see there's a lot of pieces of this. One is where do you actually learn? The second is what is your earning potential if you are in college? And then there's also the needs component. Let's let's first of all let's uh, define that what Nelson was saying the monetary value because there's other values of going to college, experience in life, uh, taking care of yourself without your family being around, uh, getting along with people, problem solving, social social problems that arise when you interact with people, um, social problems when you're dealing with authority. Um, but Nelson is actually focusing on the monetary value and we're going to get into this uh, and he's talking about, you know, using whole life to improve that monetary value, but he's also questioning, um, what the, what the real meaning of educated person is and what he says in this, in this, uh, paragraph of what we're, we're talking about right now is that. People feel like just because they have a degree, they're educated. And then they actually can somewhat project the fact, well, I have a degree. I have a master's degree. I have a doctor degree. So I know something. And he even gets into the fact that many people are actually um, teaching because they in these universities because, quote, unquote, he doesn't say this, but this is what I'm saying is they can't make it in the real world. Um, especially he points out in the business world. So they haven't made it in the business world. And so now they go and teach business courses. And I'm going to actually unveil to the the audience right now, this actually happened to me. So I fell victim to this. And and I think about this kind of stuff, and I've been thinking of kind of this stuff for years and years and years. So I've probably mentioned on a podcast before that I actually invested – in a barbecue, craft beer, craft liquor uh, restaurant. And one of the reasons I invested is because the person that put this concept together actually taught entrepreneurial classes at a local university. And he was revered as this great business teacher at this local university. So he was part of the partnership. So I actually said, and I saw him speak, I saw him uh, in networking groups, and I thought, this person, and he's teaching in these entrepreneurial classes, he would be a great person to to get in this investment with. And when I did get into the investment, he did not even take care of the most basic things in business. What are the most basic things in business? Well, let's talk about payroll. Okay, so he did not even set up payroll property. Let's talk about inventory. He didn't keep track of inventory on a regular basis. And when I mean a regular basis, you should be keeping track of inventory every month. He, um, he did not do monthly P&Ls to know mm-hmm. where you were every month. But here is the, here is the what they call the icing on the cake. 
the name that we had, our brand, he did not even trademark the name. Mm. Now I have, I reckon all recognized all this and I got out after about 18 months, I sold my interest because I said, I do not want to be in business with this person. They do not know what they're talking about. Even though he taught entrepreneurial classes at the local university. And when I'm talking about a local university, I'm not talking about like a, a small university. I'm talking about a university that has about 25,000 uh, in person enrollment. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just not like some little community college. And he actually did not trademark that particular, um, the brand name. So these are basic things. And this is what Nelson's talking about in this. And I experienced this myself, mm-hmm. that these people are in these business classes are teaching theory rather than practice. So they think that they're educated in business and they can teach it, but they do not do it in practice. And that is what Nelson's talking about. He, he starts out with, in a recent issue of the publication at Auburn University, remember this book was written over 20 years ago. Dr. Hubert Rotfeld, professor of the Department of Marketing Transportation, had this to say, <clears throat> I entered a doctoral program because of a deep and intense curiosity a love of learning, a pathological enjoyment of reading. Today, as an educator, I want to inspire students to learn, to teach my students so they can teach each other. But learn, since the teach, sub- learn, teach, hear those right. words. <laughs> Thank you for accentuating them. Yeah. But since the subject of my scholarly <clears throat> passion is business, my students only want what they see as job certification. It's kind of what you just said, Mm -hmm. Rachel, when you attained your job or your degree, you probably didn't think of it. uh, You don't think of it like this now, but at the time you said, I need a degree because some employers, they don't really care what my degree is. They don't even care if I know my stuff. They just want to see a certification, a diploma so that they can then say, hey, and it's a lot of it's just to cover their butts illegally to say, or to their upper management. Well, this person had a degree. How was I supposed to know they didn't know what they were talking about? Um, and it says, and this particular professor said, many want credits, but don't want to learn. We are seeing that, we are seeing that immensely, I believe, in home learning, stay-at-home learning, or learn at your own speed learning. Um, people prefer that because they don't have to be held as accountable. The universities are watering down what they're teaching, and they have these course curriculum. They have um, the ability to take tests um, that you're learning at your own speed. You can actually even get around the test-taking criteria. And so all they want to know is that you completed this. They don't even even check and see if you have actually uh, learned it. I remember this even from when I went to school in the early 80s. People were always trying to get into the easiest professor classes, and that was a buzz around college, uh, campus. I'll take this class because that person's—it's an easy grade. It's an easy grade. It wasn't. Oh, who am I mostly learning from? Mm-hmm. People were just—it's the easy grade. So this Bruce, is what wanna, Nelson is talking about. I want to mention something where you mentioned the home education side. So I was personally homeschooled, and then we're also homeschooling our children right now, and so. I wanted to just comment on that home education. I know you're talking about in a higher yeah, career about, field, correct, whether that's higher correct. education or um, continuing education for your profession. But what as as Nelson continues to unpack this idea, he 
he contrasts this idea of just getting a certification for being qualified to do something versus true learning. And he said college or higher education is often missing the point that learning and thinking are the thing that have value. And Bruce, I know you're going to unpack a little bit more of what he says here, but the main point is that all of the real skills that you need to be successful in life and in business often are not taught in school because they're very difficult to teach. And these difficult skills to teach are, Nelson says, reading, computing, communicating, and thinking. And the real challenge is we need to figure out how to make a love of learning, a love of thinking, a love of computing, a love of reasoning, a love of reading so that we can gather and glean information and make sense of that information. And to be frankly honest, most of that is not the stuff that's taught in any high school or college education classes. And so the challenge can be if we just say, well, the mark, the goal, the the thing to strive for is a college education. We have to wonder, are we are we going towards something that's really going to serve us or are we missing the point altogether of thinking and real learning and reading and being able to make sense of that and apply it to your life that you need to glean. And that's really what our goal is through the home education process. Yeah. And um, yeah, I will. And I was talking about um, not a home education process, but the person, the, the uh, student in a, in a secondary learning situation where they're, they would rather just learn on their own at their own speed. So it's worth not be held accountable by showing up and, you know, listening to a professor, being challenged by questions, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so as we continue on this, um, unfortunately, as students are told to go to school, it is never emphasized that learning has value. It's exactly what you were talking about. Today, even doctoral students go to school not to learn, but to get to certify. Now, I'm going to actually take this and I'm going to take it into the, the financial professional oh, situation. Um, I currently... I'm t- constantly taking um, certification credits for learning, but I do not have a, any certifications behind my name. And I'm going to be really frank. I've been doing this since the 80s. No one has ever asked me. No one has ever asked me, you know, do you have a CFP? Do you have a CHFC? Do you have a CLU? Nobody's ever asked me that. Now, maybe some people haven't approached me because I they don't see that behind my name, but I don't have an MBA, uh, so financial and I, but I've been pushed by the people around me to get those certifications, not because I will know more, but because they say that will actually show people that I have those certifications and they're, they're more, they will more want to work with me. I don't want people that want to work with me because I have a, a bunch of alphabets uh, behind my name. Once again, I'm not saying if you have alphabet behind your mm-hmm. name, that doesn't mean you're good. I'm just saying that, or not good. I'm just saying that that's not for me. I'm still considering doing it because, you know, maybe it would be better to, for my love of learning, to actually go through a course and and um, hopefully the course curriculum would actually tie many of these courses together and it would help the learning process. But Nelson said that a lot of people fall prey to this kind of thinking. And um, I've had several of my business owners who have had bad years or made bad decisions. And they say to me, you know, man, I, I, 
I just feel like a failure or they, maybe they don't say it out loud, but they, their body language and the way they talk, they feel like that. And I, I joke with them. I say, well, this is just a cheap MBA. Mm-hmm. I don't know what MBA prices are around your city right now, but in St. Louis, the MBAs are going to cost you well over six figures, anywhere between a hundred and $120,000. Well, if you, if you make a decision in your business, and you lose thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars, but you learn what not to do in a real life example, then really that's just a cheap MBA. And that's what Nelson is talking about. People should look at learning as being valuable no matter what you're learning or how you learn it. Bruce, what you said about having letters after your name, I think is so challenging in our world today because we're we're trained and taught that people are more skillful when they have certifications. So our our brain can turn us on to looking for those certifications, thinking that if they're certified, that means they're more qualified, which means they're better at their job, which means they're going to serve and help me better. But the real truth is that's not always the case. I mean, just because somebody is qualified to do something or certified to do something doesn't mean they're a better doctor, doesn't mean they're a better financial advisor, doesn't mean they understand the world better, doesn't mean that they are better with people. And so there's a lot that you can take into your own hands by understanding someone's character and listening to the words out of their mouth rather than just looking for a document that somehow our brain short cir- short circuits than to say, well, that's an easier way to see if someone's qualified or if they're going to treat me right. So yes, it's harder work to evaluate a person based on what they say and based on their history and and based on their relationship and based on their financial success because none of those things are public documents that we don't just walk around with a badge that says, here's how much money I made in business. Here's how many relationships I have that are happy with me. Here's how much satisfaction I have in my life. Here's how much I am self-educated. There's a word for that. I can't remember. Um, Mikkel Thorpe, I'm just going to credit him. He told me that there was this word and it's a very fancy word that means you're self-educated, but you're driven to continue improving yourself by learning in all these different fields. And so our brains like to have easier ways to make decisions. It's not always the best decision when we make choices on who to work with or who to trust based on the fact that they're certified. Yeah, before we go into the next part, let's let's back up a little bit about um, also um, universities and colleges have turned into businesses um, because they are trying to strive in bringing in more and more students because they need the revenue. And one of the best ways to do this is in in their minds, not our minds, but in their minds is to make the curriculum very watered down so that people get degrees very easily. And that gets out into the community and say, oh, you can get a degree over there. Just go over there. It's it's really easy. And the inflationary aspect of that uh, was caught is also affected because more and more people that want to go to your university causes the prices to go up. But the prices originally have gone up because of easy monetary policy in the form of student loans. And I'm going to give you a real life example of this. In 1981, I went to uh, Truman State University in Missouri and room board and tuition 
was $1,995. I came out of there and my first job was making about $19,000 as a teacher. So if, if anybody can do the quick math, that's about a 10 to 1 ratio. My nephew in 2015 applied to the same university, and it was still a good deal. It was $17,795. But if he wanted to be a teacher in the same ratio, he would have had to make $179,000 as a starting teacher salary. Which now no we all knows. know that. Yeah, we all know that's ridiculous. So well, that actually shows that government intervention, because at the time when I was getting a, uh, there were student loans, but they were very small and there were restrictions on how much you could get. There's now, they actually put some more restrictions on them now, finally, but there was also education about what happens when you actually got these student loans. I have um, several nieces and nephews that have a lot of student loans. And there was never any education. They didn't even know because they sneak, they've actually sneakily changed the way they do it. So they say, okay, in order to enroll, you have to sign for the student um, loan. My one, my one niece was $4,000 to just enroll. So she signed, didn't know the interest rate. She didn't know the terms. She just signed because, Hey, that's what I'm supposed to do. She goes to school in order to get her grades. She has to sign another $4,000 to get her grades. So now she has $8,000 for the semester. Instead of telling her at the very beginning, it's mm. going to be $8,000. Now, my sister, my niece should have taken some responsibility for figuring that out, but it, everybody's doing it. And so there's no education on this. And then, of course, to start the second semester, she has to sign another $4,000. And then to get her grades at the end of the year, she has to sign another $4,000. So, so that $16,000 the university knows it's coming in by a, by simply a swipe of the pen. And if that's the case, then what are they going to do with the price of, of going to the university? They're going to raise the price. And if people know that they can go to that university by just a signature without thinking about the future con consequences, more people are going to go to that university. So um, yes. he also talks about the inflationary aspect of the GI Bill, which was very mm -hmm. similar because the government said, we got all these people coming back from war. They're going to wreck the economy if we're going to try to have all these people in the economy because they're going to keep wages down because um, we're going to have a supply problem or not a supply, a demand problem, demanding jobs. And then so they gave them the GI Bill so they could go to they could go to school, keep them out of the economy for a while. And then mm -hmm. same things happening right now with um, the, our other monetary, monetary problem uh, policies. Excuse me. So there's a couple things here that I want to come back to and and bring us tie a couple ideas together for a second. So one is that the cost of college is tremendously increasing. If you go to um, I just googled this and I came to educationdata.org. I can put the links in the live chat and we can get these in the show notes as well. But the average cost of tuition, college and tuition, um, is right now 36436 per student per year. That includes books, supplies, and daily living expenses. So now that's going to be different based on what 
um, type of school you go to, if it's public or private, it's going to depend on if it's a two-year school, if it is a four-year school, if it is a nonprofit or for-profit organization, if you're in-state or out-of-state, there's a lot to uh, really look at with this, but I'm not going to go into all of those details. What the point is, is that the average cost of tuition and college, everything included right now is 36436 per student per year. If you look at this, and I'm going to go ahead and put um, the link, the full link in the notes. So this is the educationdata.org. You will see that if we went back to 1985, the average cost of college tuition was between 2900 per year and 9200 at the most per year. And again, there's different whether you're in public or private or two-year or four-year institutions. But where we look that that the cost of college, if we just put an average number for all of those in the past in 1985, which was approximately, what, 40, 30 years? I guess that's basically 40 years ago. Then we've gone from an average of about $5,000 to about, what is it, thirty? $36,000. That's a huge growth in the last 40 years from about 5,000 average to about 36,000 average tuition per student per year. So we have to say, why is it growing so fast? It is growing faster than inflation as well. So it's a cost that has exponentially increased faster than inflation in that same time frame. And many factors have gone into it. Bruce, you mentioned the GI Bill Ultimately, if you look at, there's a lot of government funding and subsidizing that goes into providing loans to students to be able to attend a school. And because of that government funding, there's a huge amount of money that is automatically given to, it's injected, I shouldn't say given, it's injected into the higher education system. And because of that, the prices of tuition have gone up. And Nelson brings up a book which I have not read. I don't know if you have read Bruce, but oh, the, fall of the Ivory it. Tower. Um, if you would have, if you would ever look at Nelson's reading list, I don't know how the guy read everything he read. He was amazing. Um, but no, I. It sounds very interesting, but I not. I have not read this one. What's interesting about the Fall of the Ivory Tower, and he highly recommends this book to be read. The author's name is Gret George Roche. Um, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. R O C H E but that just really talks about the fall of the um, quality of education. And yes, the, the quality of education has been brought down or repressed largely for one reason, which is government funding. And so you're seeing this injection of capital into the system and then the quality of education going down. I'm going to go ahead and put the link to that book as well. These are not anything that we're getting compensated for the sale of, but I just wanted to provide you with that tool as a resource if you're looking to really dig into what Nelson was talking about here. So go ahead, Bruce. I just wanted to bring those ideas together about the average cost of education, the tremendous inflation that has gone over, the amount of inflation, and the fact that government subsidies are being injected into the educational system. So the funding is coming from government, which we can say the government doesn't really have dollars to be able to do this with because we're in debt as a nation. 
yet they're putting this capital in, which then makes it seem like a thing that a, it's much higher cost than it used to be, but there's also this messaging that everyone has to go to college. And that started with the GI Bill as well. This idea that, well, it's just the thing to do. You're going to be uh, all these veterans coming back uh, from World War II. We're going to have nothing to do. So let's put them in college. Let's provide the funding for it. That started this snowball that created this higher, this rising cost, but also this idea that everyone should go. And so those two ideas coming together have saddled so many Americans with college debt when that might not have been the right path for them. And now it's assumed college is the path for everyone. And we just accept these high tuition rates. And the way to pay for them is to get as many grants and Pell Grants and um, all the funding that you can get to go to college. It's it requires us to step back and think about why all of that system is in place to begin with. Yeah. And um, so let's, uh, let's talk about the monetary value. Now where Nelson actually shifts from laying the foundation of what he is basically saying is we are, we have shifted um, for learning to be the primary goal to a degree being the primary goal. And he says, let's so, so much for the major reason for looking uh, at the value of a college degree. Now let's look at the monetary value of the college degree as compared with an alternative. Teaching the child the value of learning banking through the use of dividend whole life insurance. Now, let me, let me remind people that what he's also saying is banking is a business and that you can take that business into your own hands but you need to understand about business. And that's, you know, he talked about this early in the book about the grocery store examples, so on and so forth. So we're not going to rehash that, but just remember banking is a, a business. So he says, we need to teach the child the value of learning banking through the use of dividend uh, paying whole life insurance. To do so, I am not going to put a monetary value on the degree as was done in our presentation some 30 odd years ago. I am going to let you decide, okay? And we had some comments, I think, uh, on YouTube that, you know, I think that they thought we were disparaging people that have degrees and so on and so forth. Heck, I have a couple of degrees, so I would I would actually be disparaging myself. Um, <laughs> we're not, that's not what we're saying. We're, we're trying to put a value on the learning rather than on the degree, okay? Mm -hmm. And, and, um, He's, and he's going to let you put the value on what you think that degree is. Bruce, I'm going to let you decide I, for yourself as to what a reasonable figure might be. So at the risk of um, taking us off course, I'll bring us right back to this point in just one moment. I think it's really important to note here that, for instance, Robert Kiyosaki wrote a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He did not say there's no value in college education. But what he did say is just having a degree is not what makes people successful. So you have to understand what Robert Kiyosaki was saying was that you can be very successful by understanding how money works and by investing and having money work for you. That's not necessarily something that you get from a college education. He didn't say you shouldn't be college educated. He just said, let's figure out how to make money. And the path to making money isn't just through college. So to back that up, I want to share two more things really quick, and then I'm going to come back right to where you were, Bruce. So, yeah. um, there, it is true that statistically, people who have higher education make more. For instance, with a high school graduate 
that includes equivalency, an average income is 39,976. So let's just say 40,000. Somebody with a doctoral degree, the average income is 141,000. Now, if we just look at what do you get from an, a bachelor's degree, the average income is 80,478. So somewhere in between. The, I'm going to share this. This is from the Motley Fool. This is some statistics. And again, averages do not tell you what your experience will be, but it is a statistical summary of all the people in that field or all the people at that level that were studied in this, in this um, statistical representation. What is also important to know, and you might be very familiar with this and you might not, that some of the most successful people in the world do not have a college degree. Now, again, does this prove that you shouldn't go to college or that you should? No. What we're saying is that you should look at the, the true learning that you need and figure out where is the best place to get that learning. Sir Richard Branson, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Rachel Ray, Coco Chanel, Ellen DeGeneres, James Cameron, Ralph Lauren, Ted Turner, no matter what you feel about any of these people, they all did not, oh, Oprah Winfrey, um, Simon Cowell, none of these people had achieved a college degree, and yet they're all on a list of most successful people that are household names that most of us would recognize. The point of that is not that you shouldn't go to college. It's that could there be something of more monetary value? So Bruce, as you're talking about the rate of return, the dollars in versus dollars out. If we're just looking at that equation, what is the most productive way to put dollars in and get dollars out? We should be thinking about college education from that vantage point. Is it a good investment? Let's just look at the financial layout. Let's look at the dollars in versus what we get in dollars out. And that's where Nelson Nash is contrasting this idea that if you put dollars in to higher education compared to the dollars out, that's not as compelling as the dollars in versus dollars out from an infinite banking policy. So Bruce, I wanted to bring you right back to um, that monetary. Yeah, value. and actually, um, you know, I think most of one of the most valuable things when we do these podcasts is listening to our listeners and, and their questions. And we actually have some new people this today, and maybe they listen a lot, but they don't comment. And Warren Barnes, thanks for commenting, Warren. He says, uh, I have found it very difficult to teach myself enough accounting to become a CPA without a university program. My experience at Bentley University was very helpful, quite apart from the degree. And I agree, uh, Warren, that could be your individual experience. And it sounds like you actually had a better experience uh, at the university than a lot of people have. And we're not saying that there is not a benefit beyond the monetary uh, to this. But even with Rachel's statistics, I would also question those statistics, which I'm always rethinking my thinking, is maybe those people that actually go and get bachelor degrees or high school diplomas, maybe they have the wherewithal to actually make more money, even if they wouldn't have got those degrees. But now because they've gotten those degrees, they skew the statistics. Oh, I'm, so, I'm sure it does. Yeah, if we would have said uh, at some time, nobody can have a high school degree, nobody can have a college degree, now now the citizens go out and see how you can produce. Probably the same people that were that did obtain the high school degrees and the college degrees would still be the highest producers. Agreed. 
Wholeheartedly. Yeah. And so yes. you have to really question statistics at all time, just like you should be questioning what Rachel and I are saying all time. We are just trying to get people to think just like Nelson got uh, tries to get people to think. That's all we're all ever asking. And we're trying to get our, our government officials to think about what they're doing instead of just buying votes mm-hmm. uh, along the way. And if you're sitting there listening to us and saying, well, why are they saying this? Why are they harping on this? Why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Really, I think the goal of any society is that their citizens become productive members of society. And the best way to become productive members of society is to to be able to pivot and to help society solve problems and become value to that society. And that takes Mm -hmm. thinking instead of somebody just telling you what to think. So that's where we are. Warren, thanks for the comments. And you said, Bentley allowed me to attend for free, for which I am grateful. There is uh, there is help for deserving students, but many people just immediately jump to the loan option. I agree because, once again, they have been taught how to think of the consequences. And that is what we're trying to get people to do is think about the consequences, just like our elected officials ought to be thinking about the consequences of what they're doing as far as their monetary policies which, by the way, they don't even really have to live with because they're going to get paid no matter what in that situation. So now let's dig into Nelson's example of actually saying, let's set up your own bank. That's a business. And says, first, I, I, I assume that the usual cost of college at the time he's writing this book is 20000 per year for four years. From that information, I gather that seems to be the case. So I use the same figures to put in a high premium policy. In this case, $6,500 to the base and $13,500 to the paid up additions. If you don't know what we're talking about, you're gonna have to go back and listen to other parts of the podcast because we don't have time to talk about what base and paid up additions is right now. And we're gonna do this on a uh, 18 year old male. And when I uh, one little caveat here, people are always, um, uh, asking what's the, what's the proper ratio. If you ever look in Nelson's book, he doesn't have the same ratio for any of his examples. And he's just saying that this is one ratio. And I believe for long-term thinking, this is the way you ought to do this. So after the four years, we're, used to pay, we're going to use the dividends to pay the rest of the premiums. Now, that's not what Nelson is saying the best way to do it. He's just saying that for our example. And I, one of the reasons that Nelson did this, because we had this discussion, is he said, Bruce, people have difficulty thinking long-term. They really do. And what's um, interesting, that's been my example, and it's been Dan Sullivan, who's uh, from Strategic Coach. Mm-hmm. That's been his example. That's why his relationship question says, if we are sitting here three years from today, and we're looking back on those three years, what would have to happen for you to be happy about your progress? And I and Dan talks about this in his book, is that people can't think much past three years. It's a fantasy to them. And, and, and to some ex, uh, respects, that makes sense, right? Because our lives take tremendous amount of turns along the way. So a lot of people find it overwhelming to think past that short period of time. Nelson said the same thing. People can't think past four years. So I'm going to show you a solution that will work in only four, in four years. years. Yes. Yeah. And 
But he also says in his book, you're always going to have capital. You're always going to get better. It has to lay somewhere. Why not then continue to pay premiums? But he says, I assume the issue uh, insured will retire at age 70. I no longer let people get away with the assumption of 65. Listen to these next couple of paragraphs because Nelson had so much forethought. It is just not going to work in the future and surrender dividend credits from the, that point on. Based on the current dividend sta- scale of this company, the cash values at age 70 were illustrated to be $2,457 or $303. So from only uh, $80,000 at an 18-year-old, and that's the miracle of compounding. And then he says, withdrawing dividend credits alone of $145,000 per year for retirement purposes could be sustained indefinitely if you do this. So Nelson is saying, well, okay, so now what's going to be better? Taking the $20,000, go to university, and then put that money away that you earn, trying Mm -hmm. to do it in a 401k or somehow, and then get enough money that you can, at age 70, have $145,000 that will never run out. Or would it maybe make sense to do your own learning, start your own business, take the 20000 that you were going to put in university and put it into a dividend-paying whole life insurance policy? And then he says, and assuming the insured lives until age 85, that he had withdrawn an income total of $2,175,000. If he died at the same time, the projected death benefit would be $3.279 million. In all honesty, I don't believe that a college degree would produce comparable financial results. This scenario assumes that the insurer simply lets the insurance company manage the cash values throughout the entire illustration. So what Nelson is saying is, we're not even using the cash value to do banking. We're not even using the cash value to go start a business or invest in something else. We're just letting the insurance company do this. So then he says, if we if the insurer was taught to finance his automobile purchases through the policy at $21,450 financing packages every four years, beginning in the first year, year five, and paid back to the policy that which he would have paid to the finance company, in other words, be an honest banker, then the results improve significantly. In this case, it would be $2,698,000 instead of $2,175,000. And why is that? This is confusing for a lot of people. Nelson is now not just letting the dividends pay the base premium. He's actually now paying the extra financing that you would have paid to the finance company into the PUAs. So you're simply putting more of the capital now into your bank instead of giving it to a finance company. Okay. Which means overall capitalization is higher. Higher. Because of financing. So you can't visualize that. If you can't visualize that, buy the book and read it, okay? And then finally, he he does point out the end of the paragraph, which I love because a lot of people forget this. The repayments were actually premiums to the policy. By the way, if the insurer was female, the above results improve even more. Why? Because females actually have a longer lifespan, so their cost of insurance is less. So more would go to the cost of the, or into the cash value buildup. Listen, it's not that significant. So don't, I have a lot of clients that say, well, I want to do this, but I want to do it on my wife. 
rather than do it on my myself. And then we do an we do an analysis of it. We say, well, wait a minute, you're making twice as much as your wife, and in some cases, it's it's okay because the wife's making twice as much as as the husband. And then then it makes sense to do it because we're protecting income. But you got to look at the entire financial picture, not just pulling things out of content. And then finally, I'd like to say that uh, uh, end this by saying that so it is. So in evaluating just the financial benefits of the college degree at a cost of 80000 versus putting the same 80000 into a high premium whole life policy, I don't believe the degree is as valuable. As a matter of fact, the probability of the college-educated person learning the benefits of banking through the use of whole life insurance is not very good. In other words, what he's saying is, I don't believe they're going to teach you this in school. And... As he says in the beginning of his book, your need for financing is is greater than your need for death benefit. So uh, he didn't say you didn't need death benefit. He just says it's, it's greater. And so if you can control the financing, if people are leaking financing, do this for yourself tonight. Look at the finance charges on all your credit cards, on all your, your car loans, on all of your home loans, add up just the financing charges, and then take the take that finance and put it into a calculator and calculate how much you're going to lose as far as opportunity cost. It's going to be overwhelming to you. And Nelson is trying to recapture that. And oh, by the way, you're not going to interrupt the compounding of that. So Rachel, uh, as I wrap up then, what other other things do you want to of grow into this conversation? Um, Well, I am going to just say that when I was reading through this, if you're reading the book directly, um, it can be a little confusing to try to figure out which illustrations match up to which example he's talking about. And there's one that is on the mail, which is the illustration on page 78 really shows what happens if you fund the policy first with the $20,000 per year for four years and also use it as a financing tool. So that's what he does on page 78. Then on page 80, he jumps ahead, not just to comparing on a female, but instead he shows financing a more expensive degree at a higher uh, cost university. And then also, um, so he puts more capital into the policy on the female on page 80, and that's actually 35000 a year, and he continues putting that in for eight years, so more years. He's comparing to somebody going to school to get a doctoral degree, I believe, um, is what he's doing. And then he compares, he said, if a Susie Q student, he calls her, chooses not to go to Vanderbilt University, but instead just put that cash that would have been for tuition into a policy over eight years, then if she, instead of becoming a doctor, wants to be around the medical profession, she can build a leasing company and lease vehicles to medical students. Now, granted, cool idea. At the same time, we still do need doctors and they do need to be college educated. So not everyone can do this. Uh, But what he is showing big picture is that there's just tremendous value in setting aside capital into an infinite banking policy and starting your own banking system. And what is even more powerful about this is you can look at the illustrations and say, look, that's not quite 
practical in today's environment because those those numbers won't illustrate the same with today's um, more the CSO tables and the um, the mortalities the, have changed cha- changed and also the seventy seven oh two the IRS tax code now in some cases they've actually changed for the better. Uh, but what we're trying to tell you, what Rachel's trying to say is you cannot rely on those illustrations because those were done 20 plus years ago and the environment has changed. And guess what? That's what business owners do. They change within the environment, but they are, they are a good basis. The, the idea is good to start with. And Bruce, that's the piece I wanted to key in on is that just because a policy might not illustrate exactly the same as it did in the book, the concept is what is comparable. You still can put dollars aside, start your own banking um, system, which is going to pay you for being the the originator of that business by interest and dividends on a compound basis throughout your life. And that's the value that you can look at any illustration in the world and recognize that you will put yourself in a position of control where you're not just dependent on a higher income and then still doing everything else financially the same that everyone else is doing and not getting the same results. So yeah. there's a lot more I'd I'm like to let say. You, uh, yeah, I'm going to let you finish after my last comment Go ahead. from our dear friend, James Nethery. What you basically just said is, as James always says, if you understand the concepts, the details don't matter. And if you don't understand the concepts, the details don't matter. So the details don't, they don't ever matter. So what you really need to do is focus on the concepts because the concepts are the basic guidelines for you. The details are going to change how you apply this, but the concepts are the most important. Bruce, perfect. And so the point of this whole episode was really to rethink your thinking on the value of college education and the necessity of attending And we'll leave it there for multiple reasons, but one being that we've talked for over an hour. So, um, and so thank you for being with us today on this important conversation that I think really needs to be informing our decisions as we talk to our kids about college, as we think about whether or not it's a valuable thing to do and whether or not they should attend. So uh, thank you so much for being with us today. We'd love to hear your questions about infinite banking, any questions you have about infinite banking and the comparison to college, anything we've covered in this chapter. And so you can drop those into the comments, whether you're listening live or um, also after, after the fact. So if you're catching this broadcast on YouTube in three months from January, you're still welcome to drop your questions in the comments and we can get back to those. If you have personal questions that are applicable just to your specific situation, in that case, go ahead and send us an email at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or you can just jump through, um, jump past the whole process and go to book a call with an advisor because you're going to have the opportunity to talk about your financial picture, your personal goals and figure out the best situation for you in your life so that you can reach your financial goals, you can be in more financial control and really that's where the conversation starts for you to figure out how to implement this personally. We encourage you to do Uh, to go ahead and book that call and get started with that conversation. So that's at themoneyadvantage.com and you will find the calendar page accessible there. In closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. We'll see you next time. 
Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside.